Sassy Specula. Sassy Specula. Sassy Specula. You're listening to the Sassy Speculum. Hello, hello, Sassy Speculum listeners. Oh my gosh. Can you believe that you're hearing my voice right now? It's been a hot minute since I've been able to spout the wisdom of the Speculum to you. After my last episode in November, things got crazy, to say the least. Of course, the holidays are always a crazy time, lots of ups and downs, changes, and time to focus on all the things that you haven't done this year that you wanted to do. That definitely hit me over the head while the guilt of not producing a last of the year episode snuck over my shoulder, but I'm also trying really hard to not let the guilt monster win in 2024. This episode is going to be all about a condition that many, many people, especially women, face, but many have not heard of it. It's a condition that many people experience the symptoms of, but don't know that there's an actual reason for their maddening symptoms. And to top it all off, this is a disorder that I have personal experience with, so you're going to get lots of fun stories of me embarrassing myself in front of everyone I know. Before I get too ahead of myself, let's catch up. Welcome to the Sassy Speculum Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adrienne Knorr. I'm a naturopathic doctor, and I have a clinical focus in women's GI and hormone health. I see patients in person in the Portland, Oregon area, and I am now able to see patients virtually from all over North America. You heard that correctly. If you've been a long-term listener of Sassy Speculum and have been wanting to schedule but we're out of state, we can now work together. For my out-of-state patients, I cannot accept insurance, unfortunately, but I am more than happy to get you a super bill for insurance reimbursement, and we can also do payment plans. Just ask. For my in-state patients, I'm seeing patients in Lake Oswego, and I'm super excited to announce that I'm also joining a second practice in Hillsborough starting next week. (laughs) Next week, yeah, starting next week. For more information about myself and my practice, go to my website, www.sassyspeculum.com. I also wanted to share with y'all a brand new program that I'm releasing in March, March 1st. It was originally February, but I moved it out to March just because I haven't had the time or the ability to market it as I had wanted to. But anyways, new program releasing in March that I'm going to talk about before we dive into today's episode. If you are tired of making the same old New Year's resolutions that fizzle out faster than a sparkler, listen up. I'm thrilled to announce New Year, New Gut, a transformative health program by me, Dr. Norm. This isn't your average wellness program. I take a holistic approach, recognizing that true health goes beyond the treadmill and adding more broccoli to your plate. I'm talking about sustainable weight loss, boosted mood, and overall well-being improved, all tailored to your unique needs. Included in the program are one-on-one visits with me, personalized treatment plans, blood draw, and lab testing from a lab near you, discounts on supplements, and continuous one-on-one check-ins. If you're ready to ditch the resolutions that never stick and embark on a holistic lasting transformation, New Year, New Gut is your ticket to wellness success. Head to www.sassyspeculum.com to learn more and kickstart 2024 as your healthiest year yet. As I said, this program will start in March because no one should be jumping into lifestyle changes during our hibernation months. Enjoy January and February, be a sloth, snuggle on the couch, drink warm tea, read books, and enjoy hibernating because you deserve it. So sassy speculamites, let's make this year the year that we truly thrive and live our best lives. Check out my program, New Year, New Gut, which is currently on sale for $100 off. And just for you sassy speculum listeners, if you enter the code sassy speculum, 
all one word, all caps, you'll get another $50 taken off the price, which is basically 50% of the total value of this program. You can register at my website, sassyspeculum.com, and once again, code sassyspeculum will give you a total of $150 off the price of the program. You can participate from anywhere in North America as long as you are over the age of 18 or have parental consent. Go sign up now because spots are limited. I'm only allowing 10 women. So time is of the essence to grab your spot and get ready to start healing your gut and your world and actually stick to your goals and resolutions this time around. That's my little spotlight plug for myself. Go check it out. Now, back to today's episode. As always, nothing I say today or any day should be considered medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. Everybody and everybody is different, and just because one thing works for me doesn't mean it'll work for you. Please see a doctor before making any changes to your health or lifestyle. So today's episode topic is on POTS, also known as postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which is a long way of saying you get dizzy and or your heart beats really fast with positional changes. It's of course not that simple, but I didn't want to lose y'all in the first sentence. POTS sits under the umbrella of dysautonomia, which is the word used to describe various conditions that cause a malfunction in our autonomic nervous system. The autonomic nervous system, or ANS for short, controls most of our essential bodily functions that we do not consciously think about, such as heart rate, blood pressure, digestion, pupils getting larger or smaller, and temperature control. You don't have to tell your body to start sweating. It just does. People with dysautonomia have trouble regulating one or more of these systems in the body due to a malfunction of their ANS. POTS specifically occurs due to a malfunction in the control of heart rate and or blood pressure. When a healthy and quote-unquote normal person stands up, gravity causes about 10-15% to of their blood to settle in the abdomen, arms, and legs, meaning that blood is not available for their heart or brain. Probably everyone has, at one point or another in their life, stood up too fast and felt a head rush or saw their vision go dark temporarily. This is because there's less blood available to the brain when we stand because of that abdominal and extremity pooling, and the brain has one job, to keep us alive. It sees that there's not enough blood to perform all of its functions, so it chooses one to drop in order to keep the more vital functions working. Vision is often one of the ones that it drops first. For most humans, these feelings of lightheadedness, fast heartbeat, and seeing stars or darkened vision are infrequent and temporary. This is because the blood vessels in their extremities and abdomen, their leg arteries and veins, for example, help pump blood back up to the heart and brain. And there's a series of rapid reflex responses that our body does without us even knowing. It releases hormones of norepinephrine and epinephrine, also known as adrenaline, These hormones cause our heart to beat a little bit faster and with more force, similar to how you feel after exercise or if something scares you, and norepinephrine causes our blood vessels to tighten. Both of these actions, the tightening blood vessels and the faster heartbeat, are all put in motion to get more blood to the heart and brain faster. And most people won't even notice these things happening when they get up from the couch to refill their popcorn bowl. When people who have POTS move to upright, They actually have a larger portion of their blood that pools in the abdomen and extremities. And the longer they remain upright, that proportion increases, making even less blood available to the brain and heart. Those hormones that are released with positional change, norepinephrine and epinephrine, cause the heart to beat faster and constriction of blood vessels. But in POTS patients, 
their body doesn't know how to respond to said hormones, and their blood vessels don't get tighter. But their heart does know how to pump faster. A faster pumping heart without blood vessels constricting to supply that heart with more blood is not going to fix the issue. So how does the blood flow get back to the brain in these people? Muscles. Leg muscles have to be the ones to push the blood back into our heart and brain, so you will often see POTS patients unconsciously wiggling their legs, shifting back and forth, and fidgeting. People with POTS will often, also often stand with their legs crossed or folded up like a pretzel. This is an unconscious attempt to stop the pooling of blood down into our legs and keep it up near the organs that need it. You will catch me doing all of these things all of the time. <laughs> this condition, while you may not have heard of it before, is actually not rare. It is estimated to impact 1 million to 3 million Americans, 80 to 85% of whom are female and of childbearing age. The average time to diagnose for POTS patients is 5 years and 11 months. Unfortunately, 85% of POTS patients are told that it's all in your head, which I can attest to. I was one of those people who just thought it was my own little quirk, and I didn't think beyond the party trick into what was actually occurring in my body. I was 28 years old when a doctor finally was like, um, Adrian, I think you have POTS. And even though I'd researched the heck out of POTS and I'd learned about it in school, I had convinced myself that I didn't have it and that it really was in my head. But when my doctor said that, the outsider looking in on all these things and all these symptoms that I relayed to her in that appointment, things that I had never told a doctor before because I thought that they were just party tricks, everything clicked and my life suddenly made sense. So that's why I'm here, to help y'all realize that it's not all in your head, and there are things that we can do to make these symptoms better and ease the burden on your body and lifestyle. So what are the symptoms of POTS? The obvious abnormal heart rate when changing body position, but it's usually more complex than that. Some people will see a noticeable drop, or ironically, an increase in blood pressure with positional change. Other symptoms include fatigue, anxiety, headaches, lightheadedness, palpitations, exercise intolerance, nausea, difficulty concentrating and brain fog, shaking, fainting, cold extremities, chest pain, shortness of breath, frequency of urination, and issues with gut motility. Symptoms can range in severity from mild and able to continue with normal activities to more severe. Approximately 25% of POTS patients are disabled and unable to work. So this is a fairly widespread disorder in terms of severity and symptoms. Picture this. You are about to start your freshman year of high school at a brand new school. It's your very first day of cross-country practice towards the end of summer. You've been running for a while and have some junior Olympic races under your belt at this point, so you're pretty confident that you'll be pretty cool with the other cross-country weirdos. But you're also so nervous about meeting the big high school kids. You're wearing your cutest workout outfit, which now that I think about it, wow, have workout outfits changed over the years? Because it definitely wasn't that cute by today's standards. But anyways, you make it through the workout, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, and you're back at the track with the rest of the team doing drills and hops and things. You're wor working your way down the straightway doing big hops from touching the ground and then up to the sky, and all of a sudden, you can't see. Your hearing also gets kind of muffled, and the next thing you know, you're lying sprawled on top of two senior girls who had been stretching about 50 feet away from you and are now looking at you like you are a total freak. Really, really great start to high school, right? That's what happened to me, and the first time 
I was taken to the doctor for my fainting spells. I have no idea how I got from where I was to where those girls were. I've heard multiple different stories, including walking like a drunk, which was really great for my reputation as a 13-year-old girl, walking like a tin soldier, also fabulous for my reputation, and a few others from other people who were there. All I know is that one moment I was doing the thing and the next I was not. I now know that this was a potsy moment. It was one of my first, so when I started getting the warning signs that I was about to drop out, I didn't recognize them yet. I now recognize those symptoms and will sit my ass squarely back down to avoid A, hurting myself, and B, embarrassing myself further than I already do by just being me. At least most of the time, I will sit back down. I recently did not follow my own sage advice, and we will get to that story in a bit. In the meantime, what causes POTS? It's a group of disorders with similar symptoms. It's not a disease itself. It's actually kind of just like dysautonomia. It's another umbrella term for multiple different disorders that are similar to each other. The main difference between the different subtypes of POTS is how and why they happen. The most common type of POTS is the hypovolemic POTS. This is caused by simply not enough blood volume in the body. People with this type of POTS have decreased levels of two hormones that are released by the kidneys and circulate throughout the body and control blood volume and blood pressure. You can imagine if you don't have the blood pressure controlling hormones that your blood pressure will be totally uncontrolled and will increase or decrease with body position changes as well as other things. Because these people don't have enough of those two hormones, they have kidneys that are consistently excreting too much salt and water because those hormones would control how we hold on to and excrete salt and water. Excreting this consistent bolus of salt and water further lowers the blood volume. So these people will find themselves constantly dehydrated and will be running to the bathroom shortly after drinking any water. I have a friend with this condition who said that she actually dehydrates herself by drinking water because she ends up just peeing nonstop after drinking it. So she drinks other beverages in order to keep her blood volume up higher and avoid dehydration. The second most common flavor of POTS is the hyperadrenergic POTS. Hyperadrenergic means that there's too much hyperadrenal activation, adrenergic. There's too much norepinephrine circulating in the body unnecessarily. Norepinephrine is part of the sympathetic nervous system, a branch of the autonomic nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system is the part that responds to emergency. It's our fight or flight response. Norepinephrine is released in the body to increase alertness, arousal, and attention, constrict those blood vessels in order to maintain a steady blood pressure in times of stress, and it also affects your sleep-wake cycle, mood, and memory. In most people, norepinephrine is released only in times of stress. In a potsy person, being vertical is considered a time of stress. And even just sitting at your dining room table, drinking tea, and reading your I-can't-put-this-down fantasy novel can trigger an unnecessary release of norepinephrine. You'll be reading about the main character, finding that dark and brooding fairy male over there to be the most handsome male that she's ever seen, and suddenly you feel like you are meeting the most handsome male you've ever seen. Your heart starts to pound to the point of palpitations. You start getting shaky and sweaty. Your blood pressure goes up, instant headache, maybe even a migraine. You have to pee right effing now, and maybe you're even so nauseous that you're vomiting. Suddenly that handsome male wants nothing to do with you, and yet you're still feeling like this. Blah. 
Those are just some of the most common symptoms of hyperadrenergic POTS. And as you can imagine, it can be pretty disturbing and interruptive. Wherever you are right now, whatever you're doing, as long as you are not laying in bed listening to this, if someone with hyperadrenergic POTS were doing what you are doing, they could be feeling really disgusting and maybe not even able to maintain the activity that you are easily doing. I have an absolutely wonderful patient who has this disorder. She was diagnosed with POTS by a neurologist and a cardiologist before coming to me, and she very strongly disagreed with the diagnosis because everything that she had been told by those doctors and by quick internet searches was that POTS symptoms only happen when you're going from sitting to standing. She wasn't told about the many subtypes of POTS and how you really don't have to be doing anything or changing your body at all for these attacks to happen. There are many different causes for hyperadrenergic POTS that are mostly on the cellular level or due to a usually benign tumor on the adrenal glands. Discovering the root cause of this disorder is imperative in reversing the symptoms. The third most common type of POTS is neuropathic POTS. This is also due to something going haywire in our sympathetic nervous system, but a little bit differently. This is actually caused by a decrease in sensitivity of the nerves themselves usually starting in the legs. It's often associated with small fiber neuropathy. These small fiber nerve cells typically have the job of constricting the blood vessels in the limbs and belly. However, since these nerves are damaged in neuropathic POTS, it's actually, it actually causes less norepinephrine release from these nerves. As mentioned before, norepinephrine is a vasoconstrictor. It makes our blood vessels smaller and without that signal telling our blood vessels to get smaller and pump more blood up to the heart, the blood vessels stay the same size, leading to pooling in the hands and feet, therefore decreasing blood circulation and causing less blood to return back to the heart. This then causes the heart to beat faster to compensate. This type of POTS usually occurs after an infection, surgery, or trauma, or it could be an autoimmune form of POTS. Many symptoms of this type include numbness or tingling in the lower extremities, loss of sweating in your limbs, blood pooling, and your feet turning a bluish color when standing or when you're warm. This is because of that excessive amount of blood that is pooling in that area. The autoimmune etiology recognized with this type of POTS could actually reach out to the other types of POTS as well. There's quite a significant overlap in the other whole body autoimmune disorders, such as like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, Hashimoto's, or Sjogren's, including the female predominance, post-viral onset, and sometimes elevated autoimmune markers. So it's an interesting approach to take for sure. Studies have shown elevated inflammatory markers in POTS patients as well, which makes sense as inflammation is the most common driving cause of all chronic diseases, I know that I've had POTS for most of my life, having symptoms as early as elementary school, but I had been able to handle the symptoms enough that it didn't affect my daily life. That is until I had COVID in 2021, and suddenly I couldn't walk from the bedroom to the living room without blacking out. That post-viral nature is seen very, very often in disorders like POTS, which definitely shines a light on that inflammatory aspect. Viruses, especially ones like covid Mono or CMV cause a lot of inflammation in the body and the viruses linger. That's why long COVID and chronic mono exist because the cells linger in your body, creating persistent inflammation. 
Here in Portland, the number of patients with POTS-like symptoms getting referrals to neurologists have increased so exponentially since COVID that all neurologists in the area actually have closed their doors to POTS patients and won't accept the referral if POTS or dysautonomia is even mentioned. That's how many people have experienced POTS symptoms since getting COVID. This is not a rare condition by any means. When researching for this episode, I actually found a clinical trial for post-COVID POTS patients, and if you are one of these people who live in the state of California, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, Ohio, Tennessee, or Texas, you could be eligible for this clinical trial. Search Johns Hopkins post-COVID POTS trial, and you should easily be able to find it and be able to see if you meet the eligibility criteria to see if you can join the trial. Okay, all that being said, now that we understand the different forms of POTS and that symptoms don't necessarily have to be the quote-unquote classic symptoms with positional changes, and that there are also so many other symptoms other than just a fast heartbeat and dizziness, I'm going to switch gears a bit and talk about two different disorders that most definitely deserve their own episodes, but these two disorders often happen along with POTS. The two disorders are EDS and MCAS, because apparently no one in the medical world um, can come up with disorders that aren't some crazy acronym that no one knows. Let's start with EDS, also known as Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which, of course, is another umbrella term for a group of 13 different heritable connective tissue disorders. Each type has its own set of features and symptoms, but the features seen across all types of EDS is joint hypermobility, skin hyperextensibility, and tissue fragility. In normal person speak, those symptoms are flexibility, stretchy skin, and fragile tissues, which can lead to like bruising and easily cutting yourself and whatnot. Joint hypermobility is the classic thing most people notice first. It means that a person's joints have a greater range of motion than what is expected or usual. Some people don't have pain with this hypermobility, others do. Others also have joint instability because of the lack of their joints being held in place securely. I remember as a kid, I could pop my left hip in and out of its socket at will. It was a fun party trick that always had people grossed out. And if you were one of those kids who could always bend their body into weird contortions or pop joints in and out on command, this is a sign of hypermobility. Another sign, frequently getting injured doing things that most people would bounce right back from, like uh, me missing a stair last April and tearing three tendons and breaking my heel in two places. Normal people would have been like, ouch, maybe gotten a slight sprain, been tender with it for a few days, but nope, not an EDS person whose tissues just give way when put under abnormal stretch. Now I could go on and on about EDS and it will probably get its own episode sometime because A, it deserves it. MB is most common in women and goes underdiagnosed, so it would fit right in with sassy speculum vibes. One last thing I want to say about EDS specifically is its connection to anxiety, which has been tied directly to EDS in multiple different studies. Those studies have shown that 70% of hypermobile patients had some type of anxiety disorder compared to the 22% in the control group. Let's break this down because that's a huge difference. EDS is a genetic issue with connective tissue, altering the formation of collagen. Our connective tissues include our ligaments and tendons. If your ligaments and tendons aren't doing their job, which is to support and hold up your joints, your muscles are having to do a lot more work, 
and this information is sent to the brain as instability. Your body is in a constant state of having to fight to keep its shit together, literally. You can imagine on a chemical level that this constant subconscious fight would also create anxiety subconsciously. Besides this chronic fight, there are multiple other thoughts of what else could be causing this huge difference in hypermobile and normal, normally mobile patients. Studies have shown that EDS affects the connective tissues within the brain as well, causing structural differences in the emotional regulating parts of the brain. Now hold on to your shorts because this is where it gets crazy. At least my nerdy brain thought it was crazy. The amygdala is a part of the brain located in the dead center of your brain, about the size of an almond, and it's the part of the brain most closely associated with fear and emotions. If you see something that frightens you, it's the amygdala that tells your body to panic. It's an incredibly primal part of our brains that we have no control over. Are you ready for this? A study showed that in hypermobile patients, their amygdala was significantly larger than that of the control group. Isn't that crazy that the part of our brain designed to keep a constant eye out for scary things and act accordingly is larger and more prominent in hypermobile patients? They also found the hypermobile group had smaller areas of social and emotional signal processing than the control group. So not only is our brain's fear center larger, but we also have less ability to process social and emotional cues. Boom! It's a mic drop right there. Like, do I even need to continue for other reasons why EDS and anxiety go hand in hand? I will link that study in the show notes in case anyone wants to read it because it's amazing. Really quickly, though, the other ideas of EDS and anxiety, because I can't just leave y'all hanging here. Increased interoception. This means increased signaling for internal body sensations like hunger, thirst, full bladder, etc., since our brains and body are, of course, connected, this increase in visceral feelings can influence the way that a person thinks and feels. Atypical body awareness leads to increased anxiety as well as depression. That same study that I just mentioned touched on this as well, explaining that it's because the areas of our brain that control cognitive control of pain and negative emotions is literally structurally different in EDS patients than the control group. This ties back in with POTS as exaggerated interoception awareness is also associated with exaggerated cardiovascular arousal responses. Remember what this whole episode is about, POTS, which is an exaggerated cardiovascular arousal response with unnecessary heart rate acceleration, compensating for the veins that are not constricting in our extremities. The palpitations and lightheadedness associated with POTS are two symptoms also shared with panic and anxiety states. Another thought of how anxiety correlates with EDS and hypermobility is that hypermobile patients have, in addition to an increased interoception, an increased exteroception and nociception, also known as increased perception of what is going on outside of their body and an increased perception of pain. These bodies will overreact to sensory stimuli leading to increased heart rate, blood pressure, and even gastrointestinal and respiratory changes. And this overreaction also raises norepinephrine in the body, which makes one feel jittery, anxious, and exhausted. I know that was a long-winded explanation, and I'm pretty sure before I started the entire anxiety diatribe that I said it was going to be quick. 
<laughs> Nothing is ever quick once I start reading research. But I think it's really, really important to understand the connections between physical and mental ailments. So many conditions have a direct correlation to mental health that often gets shoved under the rug and you assume that you're dealing with the anxiety that that needs to be separate from dealing with the physical issues. But really, they often do tie together and it's important from a medical provider point of view to remember that and treat holistically and find the root cause of people's issues because just treating the anxiety isn't going to treat the problem. Which we all know that I can blab about that forever. So yeah, EDS is one part of the POTS triad. Wait, did I even talk about why they're connected and happen together? I don't think I did. Um, POTS is a neurological and vascular condition where there is a disconnect between what the brain and hormones are telling the body to do and what the blood vessels are capable of doing. EDS is a condition where collagen is defective and affects the integrity of connective tissues. Guess what is made up of connective tissue? Blood vessels. If your blood vessels are lacking adequate collagen to do their job, they won't be able to pump blood back to the heart and brain, causing POTS symptoms. Therefore, a direct correlation between the two, which is seen clinically in that 80% of people with EDS also have POTS. The other corner of the POTS triad is MCAS. This is mast cell activation syndrome. Mast cells are one type of white blood cells that play a role in the immune system. Think of the mast cell as a police officer of the immune system. They keep an eye out throughout the body for trouble and call them back up when they see that something's up and need help. In a healthy body, mast cells create a number of protective responses in your body to help promote healing and fight infection. In someone with MCAS, these cells are unfortunately sent out on a hunt too frequently, causing unnecessary havoc through their mechanisms on multiple different systems in the body all at the same time. One of the main mast cell mediators or thing that is released from a mast cell is histamine. Histamine is generally connected to allergies for most people, and this is accurate. In MCAS, histamine is released in response to triggers that are not generally considered harmful, like foods, chemicals, exercise, stress, or even changes in temperature, causing an allergic-like response. Because mast cells are everywhere inside your body, these allergic responses can appear anywhere and unfortunately can come and go depending on different parameters like where a specific food is from or where you may be in your menstrual cycle. This makes it really tricky to nail down what it is that triggered an attack. MCAS symptoms can be extremely debilitating, like actual anaphylaxis, or can be as benignly annoying as a chronic runny nose. The most common MCAS symptoms are, and remember these symptoms can move around regularly, fluctuate in severity, and come and go, are itching, skin flushing, abdominal pain, diarrhea, wheezing, coughing, lightheadedness, brain fog, extreme fatigue, runny nose, itchy eyes, headache, anxiety, joint pain, and even genitourinary symptoms like pain with urination, vaginal or penile pain, discharge, itching, or swelling. There is so much research out there tying POTS with MCAS and with EDS for that matter, but the common thread among much of this research is a lack of understanding why. My general understanding of it is that MCAS is obviously a dysregulation of our autonomic nervous system and our immune system, and POTS is also a dysregulation of our autonomic nervous system, but honestly, I just don't know enough of like cellular biology and genetic makeup to understand it 
more than that and no one else knows, so my determination to figure it out for this episode unfortunately didn't lead me anywhere other than down a rabbit hole of disappointment. I do know that histamine is inflammatory, like when you get a mosquito bite, it swells up and itches. That's because of the histamine, that's inflammation. When someone who is allergic to peanuts eats a peanut, their tongue, throat, and lips can swell up. Once again, histamine, inflammation. So it's a potent inflammatory mediator, which we all know that POTS has a piece of the inflammation pie, so that could be the correlation, but it's not enough of a correlation to call it the root connector, or in that case, any inflammatory disease could be connected with POTS, and they're not. So I don't know. If any of you know, please reach out. Until then, I will drop it, even though I feel bad for not being able to give y'all all the info right now. So a little while ago, I told you that when I get potsy, I will just sit my ass back down and wait for my body to get its shit together, enough for me to walk. But recently, I didn't take my own sage advice, and I definitely paid the price. Well, it also ties into MCAS, so let's share that fun little story to close the MCAS EDS POTS triad piece of this episode. Back in December, like mid-December, about a week and a half before Christmas, I was suddenly very itchy. It started off probably in like November or so where I suddenly couldn't wear my watch anymore because it made my wrist itchy. And then it became both wrists and ankles, but it wasn't like bad enough that I really thought too much about it. It was just like a weird, annoying thing. Then about halfway through December, holy shit, I can't even begin to explain to you. It was like my entire body was burning from the inside out. I couldn't make it through a conversation without scratching something. I looked like a dog with fleas. Like, it was to the point where people were, like, backing away from me in public because they thought that I had some, like, communicable disease. It was so bad. So bad. And every time I'd scratch myself, I was getting raised red streaks on my skin that would last until, like, the next day. So I was basically a walking red streak because I was scratching everywhere all the time, except thank God my face was fine, oddly enough, um, because I definitely would have like scarred my face had that been itchy too. My initial assumption was that the itchiness was because of my estrogen and it going haywire again with the endometriosis. And I'll get back to the estrogen piece in a bit because it also ties in with POTS. But after about two weeks of this torturous flaming skin, I finally scheduled an appointment with my doctor and I was like, yo, we need to get my estrogen back under control because I'm going to peel my own skin off. I told her all of my symptoms and she asked if there were other things that I hadn't even correlated to it, like my constant runny nose, my constant sore throat, upset tummy, and I said yes to all of those things, but I just had always thought that those were like who I was. I didn't think that there was a reason for them. She was like, well, Adrian, I don't think it's your estrogen. I think you have MCAS. And I was like, no, 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 no. I refuse to believe that. But we tested for it, which is possible to do while you are having a flare-up. And sure enough, for the first time in my life, my estrogen was normal. And my MCAS markers were, like, off the freaking charts. Now, these labs were drawn February, December 22nd. And on Saturday, December 23rd, my itching subsided. Still present, but much more tolerable. Maybe I just needed, like, bloodletting from that blood draw. I don't know. But it calmed itself down. So Saturday night, I'm laying on the couch, watching TV, not moving, and suddenly I just got super crazy nauseous. I just continued laying there and then eventually decided to make my way to the bathroom. I stood up and immediately blacked out. 
So I did my usual thing. I sat back down on the couch to wait it out. I waited maybe a little bit longer than usual because I was so nauseous. And finally, I decided I needed to get whatever monster was in me out. So I made a mad dash upstairs to the bathroom. The second half of the way, I was blacking out around the edges. So I like monkey crawled the rest of my way at breakneck monkey speed. Yes, I'm sure that this would have been hilarious to watch. Um, I made it to the bathroom. And in the bathroom, I knew that something was very, very wrong. I felt terrible, like legitimately thinking that I was going to die, which I don't think I've ever had that sincere of a feeling before. Like when heart attack survivors say that they felt a sense of impending doom, I understand that now. It was the weirdest thing. I pooped my brains out. I threw up some of my guts in what I now know was what's called dumping syndrome and happens with MCAS. It's basically your body's way of getting whatever it was that angered your cells the hell out of your body as fast as it possibly can. After this dumping sesh, I was like, okay, you'll feel better once you get in bed. You just have to make it the like 15 steps to the bedroom and then you'll be home free. Well, I stood up to make those 15 steps and this is where I didn't listen to my body. I tried to mad dash it, even though my vision immediately blacked out, but I know the way to the bed with my eyes closed. So how different could it be with them open, but just sightless? Well, I'm sure you can imagine. My body said, all right, if you won't listen, we'll make you listen. And I dropped like a fucking stone. I fell so hard into a closet, hit my head on the way down, giving myself a gnarly concussion. And that is the main reason why this episode has been so delayed. It took my brain quite some time to come back online. So the reason why I'm telling you this stupid story is that POTS flares are very clearly associated with inflammation. The MCAS flare of my itching extravaganza was a huge dumping of histamine, which is super pro-inflammatory. And then my POTSy vibes were like, ooh, inflammation, let's go, and took matters into its own hands. So those of you who know that they have POTS or are maybe thinking you do after learning the symptoms in this episode, watch out for inflammation and take extra good care of yourself and definitely, definitely don't pull an Adrian and decide to mad dash through your body clearly telling you to sit it down. Let's talk about gut stuff. Since I just touched on dumping syndrome, which until it happened in December, I'd literally never heard of, but now that I have, I can think of it happening in the past, and I just blamed it on, like, food poisoning. But why would a nervous system, cardiovascular system, and or immune system disorder cause such significant gastrointestinal issues? If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I shout about gut health all the damn time and call it the cornerstone of all health. The relationship between our gut and POTS is significant because guess what controls the gut? The autonomic nervous system, which is what's dysregulated in POTS. You don't have to tell your gut to digest your food. It does it on its own. It does it on its own. This is because it's managed by that autonomic nervous system. That does all the things for us that we don't have to think about, like your heart beating, your lungs breathing, etc., etc., In POTS, our autonomic nervous system doesn't function properly and sensory receptors in the gut may respond too fast or too slow to being stretched by the food in the gut. In EDS, the gut wall, which is made up of connective tissue, is too stretchy, causing it to become irritated, causing it to then become leaky. A leaky gut leads to inappropriate absorption of food particles and toxins into our bloodstream instead of keeping those food particles and toxins 
inside of our gut tube. This puts strain on our immune system, which sees those things in the bloodstream and knows that they're not supposed to be there, so they start fighting. An overactive and fighting immune system is what causes MCAS. So now you can see how gut health is very intertwined with POTS and the rest of the triad as well. Stress and anxiety in general also aggravate the gut by impairing gut motility. That's how fast things move through our intestines. It also impacts the microbiome within our gut, blood flow in and out of the gut, and the amount of leakiness that the gut allows, and also the sensitivity of our abdominal organs. As I explained earlier, stress and anxiety go very, very hand in hand with POTS. Many people with POTS experience diarrhea due to increased gastric motility, but some experience the opposite and have constipation due to decreased gastric motility. In summary, the gut is very strongly affected in all three components of this triad through different mechanisms. And the importance of healing the POTS, EDS, or MCAS is so much more beneficial than just trying to heal the diarrhea, abdominal pain, cramping, constipation, or whatever gut issue is coming up. I'm going to plug the New Year New Gut program again because this program identifies your root cause of gut issues. It's about understanding the unique nuances of your body and addressing them with personalized care. If you have those GI symptoms because of POTS or because of something else, just fixing the diarrhea isn't going to fix the problem. It's just going to mask the symptom of the problem. In this program, I delve into root causes tailoring your program to eliminate the underlying reasons for your symptoms, ensuring not just a temporary fix, but a lasting transformation in your health and well-being. If you've been wanting naturopathic health support and haven't been able to swing it because of finances, or if you just want an amazing all-inclusive naturopathic gut health program, this is your ticket to that. It's an extremely affordable option that has the potential to be life-altering and to get you on your way to health. That's it. In the meantime, back to the POTS episode. So fatigue, lightheadedness, palpitations, brain fog, passing out or blacking out, nausea, abdominal pain, urinary frequency, hypermobility, and chronic or fluctuating allergy symptoms all sound pretty familiar to you. Maybe you have a family history of someone else who is hypermobile or experiences those symptoms and you're thinking maybe you might have them too. What now? How do you get diagnosed with POTS? The criteria for a POTS diagnosis is that with changes in bodily position over certain amounts of time, your heart rate increases greater than or equal to 30 beats per minute, or the heart rate goes above 120 beats per minute within 10 minutes. For a diagnosis of orthostatic hypotension, which has all of the same symptoms and etiology of POTS, but is missing that fast heart rate piece, you have to have a reduction in systolic blood pressure, which is that first number in a blood pressure reading of at least 20, or a drop in diastolic blood pressure, which is the second number in a reading, of at least 10 within three minutes of standing. If you live in a lucky state that has neurologists who are still willing to accept POTS patients, you can get a referral for them to perform a tilt table test. This is exactly what it sounds like. They strap you onto a table and tilt you in all different directions with certain amounts of time in different positions and monitor your blood pressure and pulse throughout to see if you meet those criteria. If you don't live in one of those states, some primary care physicians are trained to test this with blood pressure and pulse monitoring while having the patient go through a number of positional changes. I know everyone at my school was trained in this, but I'm not sure if MDs are trained how to do this. 
or DOs. I, I just don't know that education piece for them. Um, but you can ask your doctor to perform orthostatic vitals. That's what this is called and see if they are willing to do it. If you don't have access to a doctor who will do that for you, you can do what we call a poor man's tilt table test, which is where you just do it on your own like the badass that you are. You can buy a pulse oximeter from Amazon for like under $20 and an automatic blood pressure cuff that will do the readings for you for like under 30, I think. Make sure you get one that goes around your upper arm instead of just your wrist. Some will even also check pulse for you, so you technically wouldn't need to buy both. I just recommend the upper arm one instead of the wrist. They're just more accurate than the wrist ones, but it's up to you, honestly. I would also recommend having someone else do the readings for you so you don't have to stress about it because you could skew the results if you're having to futz with things and write numbers down and whatnot. So how you do this is lay down in a quiet room, have your friend put your blood pressure cuff on one arm and your pulse ox on a finger of the opposite arm and lay down quietly for five minutes with no stimulation. Have the friend leave the room, no one talking to you, no phone scrolling, just lie down and stare at the ceiling for five whole minutes. At that five minute mark, your friend will take your blood pressure and check your pulse, writing it down quietly. Then they will help you stand up. You can hold on to them or something else if you need assistance while standing, especially because you might get dizzy or have some of your other symptoms. Once standing for one minute, your friend takes blood pressure and checks pulse again, writes it down, continue standing, and then take it again at three minute mark, and then the five minute mark. And I know that five minutes is an incredibly long time to both stand up and be quiet and not talk with your friend. I know because I have done this test multiple times, but the quieter and calmer that you are, the more accurate the results will be. So once again, lay down for five minutes, check blood pressure and pulse, then stand up, check blood pressure and pulse at the one minute, three minute, and five minute marks. If blood pressure drops by 20 or 10 for the first and second numbers respectively, or if pulse increases by more than 30 or reaches above 120 beats per minute at a time, these are all diagnostic for POTS and orthostatic intolerance. So congrats, you've been unofficially officially diagnosed with POTS. Now what? There are so many treatment options, and they range from lifestyle changes to herbs to pharmaceuticals. It all depends on the route that you want to go, the type of POTS that you have, and how directly you want to treat the cause versus the symptoms. Please remember that these are generalized recommendations and should not be considered medical advice. One should always talk with their doctor before making any changes to their healthcare regimen. As I said earlier, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor, and I don't know anything about your health or if these would be healthy and safe options for you. In general, there are three main aspects to treating POTS, hydration, nutrition, and movement. It's important to hydrate. I know I mentioned earlier the friend who dehydrates herself by drinking water because of the way that our kidneys work. The water just runs right out and it isn't actually absorbed. One thing a lot of my patients do to improve how water is absorbed is to add electrolytes to it. This can be in the form of purchased electrolyte powders or by simply adding salt to your water or drinking coconut water. I love the Noon tablets and the Bowie electrolytes, which are, the Bowie are free from all the sugars and flavors of classic electrolyte powders, 
but I'm also poor. So I salt my water most of the time because salt is cheap and products are spendy. In terms of water in general, one should be drinking at least half their body weight in ounces. So if you're 150 pounds, you should be drinking at least 75 ounces of water a day. The second key piece is nutrition. It is important to eat every two to three hours. Small snacks are fine, but include a fat, protein, and carb with every meal. Eating frequently will prevent blood pooling in the gut. And third, movement that is gentle and daily. POTS symptoms worsen with deconditioning and gentle movement is imperative. People with severe POTS symptoms do best with a graded exercise technique. This trains the body and brain to recognize that exercise is okay and safe. And while it can take up to nine months for the body to be able to tolerate upright exercise, it's training the body to do its job a little bit better and a little more normally, which is very helpful in the treatment of POTS. Also, avoiding standing still for prolonged periods of time, hot showers, hot tubs, alcohol, and magnesium can be helpful to avoid in preventing blood pooling. Some people find benefit with waist-high compression stockings to keep the blood from pooling in their legs and shunting it towards the heart. There are lots of other individualized treatments that I give my patients based on their individual symptoms that I could list, but it would probably be as long as this episode already has been. As always, um, individualized treatment is the best way anyone is going to see any real change in symptoms, and making sure to address all aspects of that triad is really important too. And keeping an eye out for items in that triad to flare at any time. Like, I've gone my entire life with POTS and EDS. I thought I was one of the lucky ones who just had normal mast cells, but all it took was turning 30 and bam, MCAS showed up with some unknown trigger. So just because you don't resonate with one of the pieces of that triad now does not mean that you are off the hook. All of these disorders can be flared or start at any time, and you might one day see a drastic change. So even if none of these resonate with you now, remember this episode and think, hmm, could this be POTS if it comes up in the future? Okay, guys, I feel like this was a really long episode. I feel like I haven't done one this long in forever. Um, thank you everyone for listening this long and keeping the Sassy Speculum alive and thriving. Please reach out if you have any questions, concerns, topic ideas, or just to say hi. Um, if you're interested in working with me as a patient, please go to my website, sassyspeculum.com, and you'll see the different ways to contact me, whether you want to be seen at my Lake Oswego or Hillsboro clinics, or if you're out of state, you'll see how that works and how to get onto my schedule. I can't wait to hear from you guys. I did want to say that I have some really exciting guests lined up for future episodes, so keep an eye out for those. I have a couple of them on the books already, which I'm really excited about. And as always, please rate and review the podcast to get it out into more ears and hearts. If you review the podcast, please reach out to me and I will send you swag for free. Who doesn't like free stuff? And thank you again for listening to me babble for this unquestionably long episode. Finish off. Here is the Vagina Rhyme of the Day, written by my favorite vagina coloring book author, Marguerite Cutler. My vag is a nesting doll with beautiful design, layered and compact, complete with glossy shine. <laughs> okay. Wait, I'm sorry. I think that I actually have already done that one. Um, it had a mark on it, but it was really, really small. So here's another bad rhyme. All right. This is a weird one. Um, my vag is a grandma, withered and tired, smells like soup, but still sexually desired. 
take that with whatever you want. That's weird. That's it. That's all I got. Bye.